welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. chapter 3 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 3. Well, since I was 8 years old, I have been a truck person. When my family would ask me, what do you want for Christmas? I would say a truck. And I did not mean a Hot Wheel. I meant I wanted a truck. A big one with big tires and four-wheel drive. This has been me all of my life. So when I turned 16, I just naturally assumed that my family loved me enough to give me the desires of my heart. They did not love me that much. And the great rhythm of my grandpa, he told my mom that Brian did not need a four-wheel drive truck because he would take a four-wheel drive truck all kinds of places that you shouldn't take a truck. And guess what? He was right. So I got a two-wheel drive truck. Now for that, I decided to make my family repent for the next five years by taking a two-wheel drive truck everywhere I would have taken a four-wheel drive truck, just doing it a little bit harder. Now, one day after school, one of my buddies, and I won't mention his name because he goes to church here and Anthony's not here, so it wouldn't be fun to talk about him while he's not here. He had this, this black Jeep that was jacked up and, and had the lights all over and the big tires and he did the same thing he does to me today where he'd park it next to me and like make me feel really bad about my little two-wheel drive truck and one day we were going mudding after school and so we went down below the White River Bridge and at this time the runoff of the bridge had created this like deep mud hole it was like four or five foot deep and had water and mud in it and he took that little jeep and he eased off in there and, and out the other side no problem and he gets out and somebody I don't know who said to me okay Brian it's your turn now here's what I learned about mudding in a two-wheel drive truck it will go almost every place a four-wheel drive truck will go if you go roughly three and a half times faster than the four-wheel drive truck will so I hauled off into this mud pile, pedal to the metal, going through there, and I emerged victorious out the other side of this mud hole. I got out and slammed the door, big smile on my face, and I said, ha, you didn't think I could do it, did you? And it was about that time that I noticed one of my friends calling out of the middle of the mud hole with a part of my bumper in tow. And I thought, oh, no. And then we put the bumper in my back truck and I had to drive home. And let me tell you, that was the, the saddest drive home ever because not only did I realize I've messed up, I've broken something beautiful and precious to me, but now I have to go home and I have to admit to my mom and my grandpa what I was doing and how I broke it and what I had disobeyed them in doing. Do you think that that moment and that feeling is kind of what Adam and Eve were feeling after they sinned for the first time and they hid from God in the garden as he came looking for him? If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Bookends. And what we're doing in Bookends is we're taking the first few chapters of Genesis, we're, we're kind of introducing the story, and then starting next week, we're going to go to the last couple chapters of Revelation, and we're going to see how the story ends. We're just looking at the beginning and the end of the story. So far, we've looked at the creation and who God is and how He created men, and then we, we've seen seen sin and Satan creep in and pull us away from God. And last week, or actually two weeks ago, let me take that back, I wasn't here last week. Two weeks ago we talked about how God pursues us in the midst of our sin. Now as sin enters the world it creates a new reality for us. The perfection of creation is gone and now it's broken as we've chosen to disobey God, reject His goodness. It's a new force in us that we suffer the consequences from. That's what we're going to pick up today as God comes forward and He levels the consequences of our sin against us. We're going to read we're going to skip around in this passage. We're going to read the whole thing. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 24. 
Adam and Eve have sinned. God has found them. Adam does the only manly thing to do. Adam, why did you sin? And Adam's like, it was the woman. She did it. Threw her under the bus. And Eve was like, no, it was the snake. And here's what God says to them. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your bellies you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and, shall put, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So as you, as you see this story here, we've seen God, he comes and finds Adam and Eve. He says, what happened to you? They explain what happened to him while pointing fingers at everybody else. And God begins leveling the consequences of sin. He's announcing the effects of this. Now, I love this story because we can see in it, we can see the two sides of God's character. We can see both God as the loving God who is full of grace, who pursues Adam and Eve. But we can also see the side of God that is just and righteous. And, and hates sin. Now, if you came here this morning, you probably came here focusing on one of those two sides of God. A lot of times we come to church and we want to focus on the God of love. We want to talk about how great God's love is, and it is. But we also need to understand that God is only a God of love because he is also a God of judgment and righteousness. He is both. He does not tolerate our sin. He, he, does, he does not excuse our sin. He loves us in his grace. He provided a way out of sin. On the other hand of it, some of us are a little bit more, um, how should we say it, Old Testament. We like to worship the God of anger and fury, never at me because I don't do anything that bad. But one of these days, God is going to get a hold of all of these other people. And we miss the fact that while God loves you, he loves everybody else in the same way, with the same amount of passion and the same amount of grace. Don't, don't get caught up on one side of God's nature because both of them makes him who he are in holiness and perfection and love. Your first take-home truth this morning on your notes is God is love, God is holy, and God judges in righteousness. Write that on your heart this morning, that that is who our God is. He is love, He is holy, and He is a righteous judge. And so we begin looking at the consequences here. We're going to skip over the snake. We'll come back to the snake here in a second. But let's begin looking at Eve and at women. God says, as a consequence of your sin, childbirth will be changed. Childbirth will be something that you go through in sorrow and pain. Now, I'm not going to talk about this too much because I don't think there's anything worse than a man talking about something a man knows nothing about. And I know nothing about bringing a child into the world except for watching that woman bring hers into the, or ours into the world. 
That's all I know. And here's what I know about it is they let her lay down and I had to stand up the whole time. And I'm still not very happy about that. So it was sorrowful for me as well. But what I've been told is it is the most painful experience that a human can endure. See, when we enter into childbirth, what we experience now was not God's original design. It's a sorrowful time. You know how I knew my wife was pregnant with our daughter? She smelled a cracker and immediately ran to the bathroom to, um, let's just say, um, uh, use the toilet from the other direction for a long time. It's not a fun exercise. As a matter of fact, I remember when Jessica was pregnant, I was sitting there, I was so stressed, I was like, who does this twice? Like, once is enough. Can you, can you not learn anything from this? It's a hard time. You know, as I say this, my wife and I, we went to Yellowstone on vacation. Uh, we found out she was pregnant two weeks before we had this huge vacation plan to Yellowstone. Yellowstone is like 27-hour drive, and my wife puked in every state between here and there. I said, babe, some people buy coffee cups not my wife she's got her own way of marking the state she's been in but the point being the point being is that we bring children forth in pain and sorrow now the reason I bring that up is not to focus on on the change but I want to focus on the original design if you go back to Genesis 1:28, this was not part of the design of bringing children forth listen to this it says then God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply his original design was one of blessing in multiplying in bringing children to the earth. That was his original design. We see Adam. He's here alone, and God puts woman in front of him, and Adam's celebrating, and God's like, okay, this is for you. I made her for you. You two go enjoy each other's bodies, and then as you do that, new life will be formed, and in this new life, you will have joy. And we still see the remnants of that. We still see the remnants of that in childbirth. Like After, after we went through all of this stuff, and I'm like, we're never doing this again. They, they laid uh, Oakley in my arms, a little girl, and I'm like, okay, it's worth it. It was worth it. Jess, you can do that again if you want to. I, no, actually, I shouldn't have said that. She's going to call me out on that later. That's a discussion we're having. <laughs> Messed up. Oops, okay. Moving on. But there's still joy in bringing child, children uh, into this world. But at the same time, it's a painful and a sorrowful process. We still see the remnants of God's original design, but we see with the entrance of sin into the world, a brokenness that comes with it. We see that pattern repeated in relationships. Look at Adam in chapter 2. This is verses 23 through 25. Uh, God makes Eve and puts him before him. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, man shall leave his wife and father, or shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You see Adam when he looks at Eve for the first time before sin and there's excitement there. He's like, this, this is what I'm talking about. I've had enough of the go and the giraffes and the elephants. That's what I'm talking about. God has made me a partner. There's excitement. There's attraction. There, there's a companionship that we were or created to desire. But then, with sin enters the world, that original design of relationships is broken. Back to, back to three, chapter 3. This is verse 16. It says, And your desire, speaking to Eve, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Look at how the relationship changed when sin entered the world. We go from, from Adam being excited. This is what I'm talking about. This is the greatest gift God has ever given me. 
And God says, okay, now that relationship, now that sin has entered it, now that relationship is broken. You, you could say this, that God tells Eve, look, you're going to have a desire to control your husband and you'll never be able to. And your husband will have a desire and a tendency to act like a tyrant over you. This is the effect of sin. The beauty of community is broken in the way that we handle each other. See, God handcrafted Adam and Eve physically, emotionally, and in every way to be together. But enter sin in this relationship that was meant to be perfect becomes hard. I'm going to run somebody's day in here. If you're thinking about getting married in the future, marriage is hard. It's wonderful. There's the wedding. Everybody celebrates you. And then all of a sudden, there's another person in your house. And they snore at night. And you have to use the same bathroom at the same time. And that's weird because, you know, they're always just right there. And you don't ever see things the same way. And you have two selfish individuals in the same household trying to make a life together. It's absolutely wonderful. But it's absolutely one of the hardest things you'll ever go through. And you may need to hear that today. Somebody in here is going, I'm going to get married. And it's going to be like the Hallmark movies. I hate Hallmark movies. Yeah. Yeah. You know why I hate Hallmark movies? Because uh, I'm a guy. Okay, that's fine. I know they feel good. They stop at the wedding. You may need to hear that this morning. Maybe you need to hear. If you're having a hard time in your marriage, it's supposed to be hard. You can work through it, by the way. And if you're thinking about getting married, number one, marry well. Number two, just go into it knowing there's going to be a lot of things you have to work through. Because two broken individuals with two different sets of individuality come together. This is the result of sin. We still see the beauty of the relationship of marriage as God created it. But we still struggle through the brokenness that sin brought into it as well. So your second take-home truth this morning is sin steals goodness and adds hardship. This is what we see in the consequences given to Adam and Eve. Sin steals goodness and adds hardship. After this, it's Adam's turn. God then turns to Adam, and Adam gets it a little bit worse than Eve does. God turns to Adam, and he says, okay, here is why you're being punished. And he says this, because you ate of the fruit of the tree, because you listened to your wife that I commanded you not to eat of, and you ate of the fruit of the tree, you will be punished. And here's what happens to Adam. God says, the ground is cursed for your sake. I want you to look at this. The very ground that we walk on, creation around us, not just us as broken individuals, creation around us changed when sin entered the world. God said, because of your sin, the ground will now produce thorns and thistles. Out of my farm, we have these, uh, we have these little, I call them devil trees. They're, they're, they're thorn trees. They're honey locusts is what they're called. But there's these little bushy trees, and they have these thorns that are like this long, and they're painful, and you can't do anything with them. And I have spent hours and hours and hours cutting these things down and putting them on a trailer and burning them and trying to get rid of them. And you know what happens? They come back every single time. God said, Adam, because of your sin, this ground which I gave you to be a gardener over, this ground which I gave you to, to create food for you, what will happen is there will be thorns, there will be thistles, and there will be reeds, there will be angry plants out there, and if you are going to eat in order to do so, you will toil and sweat. Every single year about this time, I, I tell somebody, I say, farming is a mental illness, we don't have cows anymore, but I, I still do some hay. And here's what I've learned about farming is you go outside, you get hot, something breaks, you bleed, you say some things you have to repent for, and then you do it all over and you generally break about even. Because God has created this world because of our sin. 
where it takes toil and effort for us to work. Now, if you look at this differently, going back to verses 129 in our scripture here, look at how it was before sin entered the world. And God said, he's speaking to heaven, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is of the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seeds, to, it, uh, to you it shall be for food. God says that all of this stuff is given to you before sin, before sin, God gave us an earth that produced food for us. We had to work, but we didn't have to toil. But when sin enters, it breaks it. And, and this brings us to the hardest point is, is God is talking to Adam. He says, okay, thorns, the thistles, you're going to sweat, you're going to bleed, it's going to be horrible. But the hardest thing God can say to us, verse, chapter 3, verse 19. God says, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. The hardest thing I think God may have ever said to humankind. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. Here Adam and Eve facing this new reality. This, this, new, this new reality they've brought on themselves. The understanding consequences of sin. God comes to them and says, you're going to die. And if we gather here today and we don't say that regularly, we're messing up. Folks, you are going to die. You are a step closer to death than you were yesterday. I'm not, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to, to, to make you panic. But I want you to know that as we sit here, we are currently dying. Our bodies deteriorate over time. I was making some fun of, fun of people earlier this morning, which is what you want from your preacher in a church, somebody who makes fun of you. I know. Um, sitting around in Sunday school folding all those beautiful bulletins you have and several people sitting around and talking about all of our ailments as you get older. Knee hurts and things don't work the way they used to and all of that. That's because our bodies are giving up on us. They weren't made to do this. They weren't, they weren't made to deteriorate, but they deteriorate in, between, uh, in front of us. Now, I will say, if you're 35 and you're in relatively good health, 90-year-old people don't want you to say, yeah, tell me about it. That, that, that doesn't go well very often. But our bodies are deteriorating. We can't do the things we used to do. We're having to have the surgeries. Things don't work the way they are because we are dying. Your third take-home truth is death is a result of sin. Death is a result of sin. I attended a funeral Wednesday, um, a great-grandmother of a buddy of mine. She turned 98. I didn't know her, but just to hear her family talk about her, a, a fantastic woman of faith. But it's always a reminder when I go to a funeral that no matter how good we are, no matter how much church we go to, no matter what, death is looming for all of us. And see, this is hard words from God. Not only does he say this to us, that we will die, the words that hit me the hardest out of this message was, dust you are. Here we are, we're, we're God's precious, most beloved creation, built in his, his holy image. And God here strikes at our identity. He doesn't just say, you're going to die. He strikes at our identity. He says, you, you're just dust. And because of that, you'll return to the earth which I took you from. I'm not sure of the exact significance of that, but there's something, there's something broken and wrong about beautiful image bearers of God returning to dust of the ground. It's a hard new reality that we learn, live in. 
Now, I've always heard that every good sermon can be broken down to one sentence, and, and I try to do this each week, even though I don't share it with you. But every good, every good sermon should come down to one sentence, and I want to share with you on your take-home truths that says S1S, the sermon in one sentence. I want to share this with you today. Here is the point of the text that, that we are going through today. Uh, on your take-home truths, sin takes beautiful things and breaks them. Listen, don't be deceived. Sin is destructive. And one of the biggest things you and I face, because listen, I know you guys, I love you guys, you're church people, you're trying, you're here, you believe in God. But one of the things church people love to do is be church people on Sunday when people are looking and when nobody else is looking, we like to be different. I hate, I despise when somebody says something and goes, I can't believe I said that in front of the preacher. You don't need to worry about me. I'm, I'm dealing with my own mess over here. What you need to be worrying about is there is a holy and a perfect God who you cannot hide from. And if you're putting on some kind of a mask to come to church today so other people will think you're holy, you're missing the entire point of why we're here. Because pretending to be holy or just trying to be good enough for God doesn't get us anywhere. See, a hidden sin, a hidden sin, whether it's hidden from our spouse, whether it's hidden from our church, whether it's hidden from our children or from our friends, are big deals. But we try to convince ourselves they're not a big deal. We try to tell ourselves it's, it's really okay for me to sin. We, we say things like, well, it's not like, it's not like I'm sleeping around. I mean, we've been in a relationship for like three years. Yeah, we're not married, but you know, it's, I'm not like those people doing the walk of shame in the morning. Uh, we, we try to sell ourselves. It's, it's not like I'm killing anybody. I just like to, I like to fight. You know, I get mad. And I, just like, I like to just let it out and lash out at people. Oh, it's not really stealing if I just lie about what time I got to work and get paid for it. I don't have idols. I just prioritize my hobbies over worship and serving God. But that's, that's not an idol. It's not really that big of a deal. And here's what I want you to know. When you minimize sin, that sin in your life, that sin in your life steals beauty from your life. You can hide it from me. You can hide it from this church. You won't hide it from God. And you won't hide from the built-in consequences of sin. The built-in consequences of sin can not be hidden from. But I want you to know this too is that God show, God's love shows up even in the consequences. When we come here, we don't come here with the attitude of, I've got to do better so that God will love me. That's not a message I'm ever going to preach to you because it's not in the Bible. That's not a message that you should be attracted to. If what you come to church for is, I want to do better so that I can be okay with God, you've missed the point. The point is this, is God loves us, so he gives us the ability to do better. And he rescues us from our sin. So understand this, with our, with our sentence in one, uh, uh, sermon in one sentence, sin takes beauty, beautiful things and breaks them. Next slide, adding to that, the rest of that is, but God takes broken things and makes them beautiful. God takes broken things and makes them beautiful. So there I was in a 1997 green Dodge driving home with my bumper in the back. I'm thinking my grandpa's going to kill me. Now, my grandpa doesn't chew people out. He's one of those nice chewer-outers where he doesn't say anything, but you feel like you've been chewed out. Any of you guys know some of those people? Some of you are like, Shh, she's sitting beside me. Okay. He's one of those people. And when I get home, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, what happened to that bumper? And I have to tell the story. Well, really, God, really, Grandpa, it was Anthony's fault with his black Jeep and his dairy me to go. And then he's going to say, you know the thing's not supposed to be off-road. I go, yeah, but I took it anyway, and he's just going to go, hmm, and walk off. 
And I'm driving home and I'm dreading that. And we get home and we go through that conversation and I feel just absolutely like dirt here. I've taken something beautiful, something valuable in my life and I broke it just being stupid. Now, I didn't learn much. I did it again, but I felt bad for a couple days. The next morning I got up and I went out to the shop and what did I find? I found my grandpa with all of his tools sitting around this broken piece of bumper, fixing it and preparing to reattach it to my truck. In the same way, guys, God levels consequences against us for our sin. God is a good and righteous judge. But God takes it upon himself to fix our brokenness. God takes it upon himself to fix our problems. Read with me going back. Read with me verses 14 and 15 one more time. This is going to deal with the snake. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than the in every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will, everybody say, I will. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God says to the snake, look at this. This is how we know God loves us. God says to the snake who tempted Adam and Eve into sin, he says, you are cursed. To us, he said, for your sake, the ground is cursed. He didn't curse us. He says, you are cursed. And he causes this, this animal, this physical animal to crawl on the ground. But we know that this wasn't just an animal. This was Satan as well. And he begins to, to talk to Satan and he begins to, to bring punishment on him. And you have to think at this moment, Satan was happy. Satan hates God. Satan hates you because you remind him of God. Always keep that in mind. And so Satan's sitting here and he's smiling off to the side like, you made him God and it took me a whole day, <laughs> a whole day to pull him away from you. You made them to look like you and now I've introduced sin in their life and now, God, they look like me. God, I took them from you and you loved them. And God responds with, I will fix this. Satan, you, you won't win this war. You might have won the battle, but you will not win this war. I will. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Satan, you think you're cuddly with Eve? Not for long. One day, one day there will be conflict. God takes actions. I will do it. And we see the first prophecy of the Bible. A prophecy is just a, a promise for the future, a promise that God will win. Your fourth take-home truth is this, is God has a plan to defeat Satan and redeem mankind. God has a plan to defeat Satan and redeem mankind. God tells the snake, the serpent, he tells Satan this. He said, listen, between you and the woman, one day I'll put enmity from her seed. I will bring forth an individual and you will bruise his heel. Now think of a snake. What does a snake do? It grabs whatever it can reach. Denise, I know you love snakes, right? No, she doesn't love snakes. Snakes are dangerous little creatures. They'll lay on the ground and they'll bite your ankles. It's like a chihuahua or something that crawls. What a snake can do is it can bite your ankle, but it can be a fatal blow. A snake bite can kill you. A snake bite can kill your life. And God says to the snake, like, hey, this individual who's coming, I will give you the opportunity to deal him a fatal blow. But in exchange, in exchange, this individual will bruise your head. Now, a bruised head is more than just what we say about LSU fans, okay? A bruised head, and, oh, come on, that was funny. And I want you to know, I wrote that last week, and then I got sick, so it was supposed to be before the game, not after we lost. Anyway, 
A bruised head represents the loss of power and authority. A head in the Bible is always power and authority. A bruised head represents the loss of that. So here's what God says to Satan. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Someone is coming. You're going to get to kill him. But in doing so, your power, your authority, the power of sin and the power of death will be taken from you. Not only does God promise that, God promises that in details. He promises this individual will be a man. He promises this individual will be the seed of a woman. He doesn't mention Eve there. What God is saying is, I'm going to fix this and I already have a detailed plan. And notice where this is, just because I didn't preaching in this order God says this before he gives consequences to Adam and Eve before he comes to us and says here's what sin has cost you God is already working God already knows exactly what he's going to do and exactly how he's going to do it to rescue us from this sin to rescue us from the consequences of sin here's what I want you to know from the Bible in your moment of sin God will meet you there Here's what Satan says. In your moment of sin, God is done with you. Satan is a liar. In your moment of sin, God will meet you there. In your moment of failure, God will come running to you. Not when you get better. Not when you fix yourself. Not after we go to church a few more times. Not one day in the future. In the midst of our sin, he will rescue us. Because sin is serious, but his love and his grace is more serious. He will come to us in the hardest times that we're going, in the, hard, in the biggest sins that we're going through, in the hardest things that we face. He will come to us and come to our rescue. We now know that, that the rest of this Bible from Genesis 3.8 through the end of it comes down to one individual, one individual only. It is Jesus, and that's who this is talking about. That one day Jesus will come, that Satan will have the opportunity to strike out at him, that he will give his life, but when Jesus gives his life, he has defeated Satan forever. And we see that with Jesus' work on the cross. As Jesus comes in the world, Satan begins to move. Satan tried to kill Jesus before Jesus could do anything. Satan moved in the hearts of kings to make them jealous so they would kill all the children hoping that he would get Jesus out. Satan moved in the Pharisees and the religious leaders to get them to hate Jesus. He moved in the mobs and the crowds so that they cheered when Jesus was crucified. Satan was doing all of that. One of my favorite moments of the movie, The Passion, if you've seen that, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a hard movie to watch. It's about the, the uh, beating and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite moments in that is uh, as Jesus is tied up and they're beating him savagely with a whip, he looks up and Satan's walking through the crowd, smiling. Not necessarily a biblical moment, but it points to a biblical truth that Satan got to kill Jesus, but in doing so, in doing so, Jesus defeats Satan because three days later, Jesus comes back. He defeats Satan, he defeats sin, and he defeats, defeats death, providing redemption and salvation for all of us. Satan may win the battle, but God will win the war. Your last take-home truth. This is our reality from the scripture this morning. Our reality, point A, sin has overtaken the world. Point B, salvation from sin is available only through Jesus. Now, I love, I love, I've grown to love, I've grown to love the Bible. Because if you will give the Bible a chance, the Bible will tell you everything you need to know. And even in Genesis chapter 3, God paints us a picture of what Jesus will do on the cross and how salvation is available to us. And in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to read to you one verse. This is verse 21. It says, Also for Adam and his wife... The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. 
think about that for just a second. How, how do you make somebody a tunic of skin? There was an animal which was clothed in its own skin that had to give up its life so that Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame from sin could be covered. This is the first instance in the Bible when the Bible talks about death of an or gives us an instance of the death of an animal or an individual. And what we see is an innocent animal giving its life to cover the shame, the nakedness, and the sin of Adam and Eve. Later in Leviticus, we'll see this as a ritual that the innocent lambs will give up their lives, their blood will be poured out to cover the sins of God's people. And in his death, here's what Jesus did. Jesus gave up his life, innocent of all charges, and gave up his life so that you and I could wear his righteousness. That's what salvation is. You are, a sir, or a sinny, you are a sinful, broken creature. Before God, he can see nothing but your sin. But when Jesus gave up his life, he became sin so that you and I could have his righteousness. And if you are saved, if you are a child of God, I want you to know this. You are still a sinner. You still have a sin nature. But when God looks at you, what he sees is he sees the righteousness of his son. If our musicians could come up here. And God did this all on his own. You notice there's really nothing that Adam and Eve are doing in the story except for getting chewed out. God says, I will do this. I want you to know today that salvation is not something you can earn. It's not something that, that I can give to you. It's not something that you can do with some kind of a ritual. It's something that God gives to you. The book of Romans says it is a free gift that Jesus died for you so that he could give it to you. Your only, responsible, or our only responsibility is this, is to receive it through repentance and faith. Today, if you're here, I would encourage you to pray and worship over that if you receive that. And if you haven't, today can be the day he did it for you. And he can start to turn everything in your life, all the brokenness, all the sin, and the shame. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.